Welcome to the Unsweetened Sayo podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsayo.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of Unsweetened Sayo, the podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about what I like to call goodbye, my lover, or final act. That was going to be the chapter in my book. And what I mean by that is kind of making peace with giving up probably your good friend and pal, Sugar Flower. And for me, it's actually very embarrassing, but the reason I call it Goodbye My Lover is because of that James Blunt song that came out a while ago. I don't know if you remember it. You can look it up. But the first time I heard that song, and this is the embarrassing part, I literally thought about sugar and food because I'm sure at the time I was on a kick trying to, you know, kick my sugar habit or maybe I didn't know that I was addicted to sugar when that first came out, but I knew I struggled with eating sugar in moderation and that I've relied on it a lot. So when I first heard that song, you know, the lyrics are like, goodbye, my lover, Goodbye, my friend. You've been the one. You've been the one for me. And I really, I mean, did not think about, you know, the any, like, <laughs> humans, but I thought about food and sugar in particular. So that's how strong my connection was. And I remember sitting in the car And listening to that with kind of tears running down my cheeks, just being so sad and ashamed and at a really, really low point of, oh my goodness, like I rely on this way more than what's normal. So um, I talk about in, you know, my interview that I did with the Kick Sugar Summit, which you can view on my website, www.unsweetenedsayo.com. If you haven't checked it out, I've done two interviews. One was with a local TV station here last January, and then I also um, was part of the online Kick Sugar Summit success stories, and I kind of talk about, it's about 30-minute interview on there. So if you haven't checked it out, you definitely should, and it is on my website, like I mentioned. But in that interview, I talked about having a grieving process. And I actually had a few people reach out to me after that interview that really connected with that in particular because the other, you know, success stories didn't really talk about that. So again, for me, um, I used food. I mean, it was like my best friend in a way, you know, um, it helped me get through a bad day or get through a good day. It was a crutch. Uh, however you want to put it, I really, really relied on it. And it's still evident now, even, you know, almost two years later, 
just because when I do get really stressed out or overwhelmed, um, I don't reach for it right away now by any means. And then remember, I don't eat it anymore. I've, you know, gotten past that, although I did initially, but I still think about it when times are like extreme stress or even right now. Uh, I just got back from working a really long week in Las Vegas after working another week in Las Vegas before Thanksgiving and after. So plus trying to keep up with my other job and the podcast and the kids, I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed. And on top of it, I also have my period. So, you know, one thing at a time is fine, but when things start layering and they really start adding up for me, um, that's maybe when suddenly I'll think of my old flame sugar fondly again. And for a second, I mean, I'm still so much happier without it, but for a second, sometimes when I'm feeling really sorry for myself, I just wish in some ways that I was still eating it just to get that little help, you know, that little sugar high that I relied on so much, you know, I kind of still think of it fondly sometimes, even though I know how it was really destroying my life. Um, but as any addict, you know, I guess I still think about it fondly. So there was a grieving process. And I think that's really important. Maybe you don't feel the same way about it as I did. But if you do, and you are planning, you know, to give it up in January, come January, really take this time now. That's kind of what I was doing this time two years ago, was really coming to terms with, okay, I need to give this up. And what am I going to replace it with? You know, intuitively, I knew that I was going to need to find other ways to help myself through these stressful times if I wasn't relying on sugar. So for me, kind of the final piece of the puzzle, I guess, that I talked about is reading that food addiction article by Chris Gunners on healthline.net. I think since now, like since I originally saw it, it's been changed a bunch. Um, but the original article that he wrote really resonated with me. And I did interview him on an earlier podcast episode, and he was able to find that original link. So that's in the episode notes if you want to look for that for the episode with Chris Gunners. Um, But anyway, that article, for some reason, just really, even though it was nothing new that I had read or heard, it was just hearing it that way at that time that everything just kind of clicked into place. So I knew around this time, even earlier, probably like November-ish, uh, two years ago, that I needed to give up sugar and flour and that I was an addict. And of course, moderation, no matter how desperate I was to try to make moderation work, it was never going to work. You know, I was still probably negotiating a little bit with myself. And I hear from people sometimes too that do the same thing where it's like, well, it's going pretty well. I bet I could still eat sugar on Sundays or I'm sure I could just do it one day a week, you know, still trying to battle um, that thought of giving it up forever. Cause it's, it is, I think it's a grieving process that you have to go through. So you might, 
be in that now. And I would suggest journaling about it. Um, if you have a support group or someone that you can talk to about it, talk about it. But if not, just writing about it, I think will help tremendously. Um, for me, I have, like keep this journal next to my bed that I kind of put any thoughts in that, you know, maybe I wouldn't want anyone else to read. So I always tell my husband, if anything happens to me, he needs to like burn that book and definitely not read it. <laughs> so, um, because it's one of those things where, you know, I had a therapist tell me years ago that like, you know, um, just because you have a thought or a feeling, it doesn't necessarily define you. Like we just have all these random thoughts that come up and sometimes we just need to get them out. And so for me, it's really helpful having that kind of journal where I don't judge whatever's coming out, you know, or, you know, if I was writing about how sad I am to give up food, I might be embarrassed to talk to someone else about that. But this journal is a safe place, um, you know, no judgment zone where I can just write freely. And sometimes that just helps being able to get it out, you know, completely. So I recommend something like that if, again, you are really considering giving up sugar and flour in January. This is the time to start your journey now. Maybe listen, you know, to James Blunt, Goodbye My Lover. Shed a few tears like I did listening to it um, and then kind of laugh at yourself for being so ridiculous like I did. But I do think that this is part of the journey. Um, you know, I really finally had tried, you know, doing the intuitive eating was kind of my last eating plan that I really tried focusing on moderation. And it just finally, you know, reading that article, I was like, clicked with me that if I'm truly an addict, a moderation is never going to work for an addict. You know, abstinence is the only way to go. You're not asking an alcoholic to just have wine on Sundays. That's never going to work, right? You mean you're not asking same thing of a drug addict. Like there's just no way that Sunday becomes a slippery slope until you're having it every single day, every hour, you know, every minute of every day. So for me... I think it took a while to accept that, but once I did, um, that's where my journey began and that's where the grieving process began. And, you know, I started really writing stuff like a pros cons list too, because the thought again of giving up sugar and flour forever was just so overwhelming. And I kind of told myself baby steps, but I knew I needed to commit to giving it up for at least one year, which is what was suggested in that article. And that made sense with me too. Again, intuitively, I was really trying to listen to myself and my body. And I realized, you know, I had been eating that way for basically 38 years, my whole life. It wasn't going to happen overnight where I was magically, you know, better. I knew it was going to take a while and uh, I wanted to give it a full year before I gave up completely. And then in the beginning, you know, when I wasn't feeling great, I could just kept telling myself, if this doesn't work, I'm giving it a year because I deserve at least a year. And this is my last shot. I need to be like a hundred percent all out. And if it doesn't work, you know, then 
after the year, I'll just accept it and then just binge for the rest of my life. Like if I never want to eat a healthy food again, fine. And so that kind of helped my bargain deal with myself. But I really knew that it was going to be at least a year. And I knew even if I felt better, which I did then, especially it took me about five months and maybe it will be sooner for you or maybe it will be even a little longer. But that's why I suggest that full year. I knew I needed to have um, some self-care and some other things in place before I got started instead of just trying to go cold turkey. So um, I did go cold turkey in that I, you know, January 12th, I ate a bunch of junk food. January 13th, I stopped. But I, my um, preparation was mental, you know, beforehand, where I was kind of journaling. I was making pro-con list of why I should give up sugar, why I shouldn't, you know, obviously the pro list was very long. Um, the only con I really probably came up with for giving up sugar was that it tastes so good. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it was, you know, giving me any kind of nutritional benefit or helping my health at all. So, uh, but it tasted good and it was my crutch. So, you know, seeing it that way, and then I also kind of wrote, and I read a little bit of that on an earlier episode, just how terrible I was feeling um, at the time in my darkest hour and knew that I could then, you know, if I had like was a month in and had an emergency where I wanted to eat sugar and flour, I knew I could read, you know, that and be realize how, you know, how awful it had become for me. And if I could read that, maybe it would give me the motivation to keep going. Like, I don't want to go back to that place. And I did try to, you know, keep kind of telling myself that too, is that it will never be as hard as it is today. And in the beginning, I was really, really focused on weight loss, which I'm sure a lot of you might be as well, but not everybody. You can be a sugar addict and not be overweight at all. But I was, and I was desperate to lose weight. You know, that was a big motivator for me. But interestingly, as I mentioned before, you know, after I started feeling better, the weight loss was just kind of a perk. You know, that wasn't even the thing. You would think that would be what I was most excited about. But honestly, it was being free from that mental addiction cycle that I didn't even realize how bad it was that was the most freeing of all and then it was like oh cool I've lost some weight too but in the beginning I wasn't even thinking that way you know it's hard when your brain's addicted to sugar to really kind of think about it how good it's going to feel when it's not anymore so for me I was really really focused on on losing weight and I'm sure you know, a lot of you will be as well. So, and that's okay. Um, just know that there are so, so many other benefits. And I hope that you have that same experience of, yes, you will lose weight, but that no longer becomes your top motivator. Um, so yeah, I just started really writing a lot. And thinking about things like, you know, what am I going to do when I've had a really tough day at work and the kids are acting up and, you know, I might, 
usually grab, go home and, or stop even on my way home from work and buy a binge, some binge foods at the grocery store, whether it was cookies, ice cream, whatever, just sometimes I'd, you know, do that knowing that I was going to need that after the kids went to bed. So what am I going to do instead of that? And that was the things I was really, you know, kind of thinking about and journaling about. Um, I started making a list of things that I like to do. You know, we've talked about self-care a lot, so I hope you already kind of have that list of self-care. Um, and you, if you don't, that's another really good thing you're going to want to have that you can look back on, you know, again, when you're having that triggering situation, if you have your little self-care list, you could even keep it as a note in your phone that you can refer to quickly. So it's with you at all times. Here are the things that I know are going to help me get through this trigger. Um, you know, having that journal entry to refer back to of your darkest hour, you know, probably feeling like for me feeling just the heaviest I've ever been. I just knew I didn't want to go back to that place. So again, a big motivator for me was just not going back, you know, when I was having really tough times, especially as I started losing weight, you know, I kind of told myself, you know, even if I was just losing a little bit of weight at first, just I'm never going to be this big again, either. Like those types of things, whatever it is to kind of keep you going, if you can kind of write down maybe those thoughts that might help inspire you to keep going, because they're going to be really easy days, and they're going to be really, really tough days. And in the beginning, it's going to be a lot of really, really tough days. So as always, like I always say, you need to be prepared. And I think getting prepared mentally is really, really important. Um, and if you do have a lot of favorite foods that are, you know, around the holidays, just really, I would say, enjoy them this year. Um, you know, so much of my eating of junk food, I don't know even how much I enjoyed it. I mean, I know I liked it, but I was a lot of times just inhaling it, you know, not really stopping to enjoy it and really savor it. Um, and I do think I did that a little more towards the end, knowing that I was gonna, um, give it up. And I probably also ate a lot more right before, um, you know, they call that last supper eating is that term where, you know, you're about to, be good or whatever, you know, if, if you're about to start a diet or that happens a lot too, and then you're just eating everything that you're not supposed to eat. So one last time, and I, you know, don't recommend that if there is any way you can, you know, eat healthier and healthier as you approach your start date so that it's a little easier, um, withdrawal wise. But for me that, you know, that didn't happen. So you don't, you know, if, if you are like me, don't fret. I was frantically eating, you know, again, I was ha set a, a date of January 1st and just frantically ate right through that until I actually started January 13th. Um, so again, however, you know, <laughs> there's no perfect way to do it, I guess. A lot of people and books I read suggested, you know, kind of easing it out slowly in stages. And that 
wasn't going to work for me. So figure out what is going to work for you. I think if you can come up with a plan, um, that is really, really, really helpful ahead of time. If you have a journal or something that you keep or whether it's a note in your phone of just, okay, this is what I do when I'm really being triggered. This is, you know, how my low point looks like. and I really don't want to go back here. Here's some self-care ideas for when I am feeling triggered. Just all of that stuff. If you've listened to some of my podcasts and there's some tips that you like, or even some alternative modalities that I've talked about, you know, that's the time to start kind of writing those things down and looking into them. You know, I definitely did not do it completely alone. I didn't have a support group per se, but I was doing things um, like the energy work with Dr. Stanzi. I was doing my therapeutic gemstones. I still think the citrine helped me a lot. You know, more recently, I've been doing something called emotion code, which is using muscle testing to um, unblock stuck emotions that might have gotten trapped in your body that then can cause physical pain. Um, but I'm doing that right now with a practitioner and actually just took a workshop this weekend on it and am considering doing, adding that and doing that myself. You know, I did the workshop so I could do it on myself and my kids because I've seen such a huge impact already on my life. So I'm considering maybe getting certified so I can help others. But more on that later, the emotion code, I'm actually hoping to interview my practitioner in um, the new year so we can talk a little more about it. But that's something else you could look up if that sounds intriguing to you at all. Um, just anything that you think might support this journey, because it's not going to be easy if it's even just seeing a therapist or, um, getting together with a friend once a week that you can be open and honest about, or someone that you can call or text, just kind of starting to set up what that's, what that's going to look like. Because again, um, I don't think that you should do it alone. I did in the sense that, again, I wasn't part of a, I didn't have like a coach or join a quit sugar group or support group, but I did kind of build up other things around me to support me, if that makes sense. And even writing in my, you know, journal every day, which was just a Word document on my laptop, writing what I knew, hoped was going to be a book one day, and I still hope I'll turn it into a book, that really kept me accountable, knowing that people were counting on me and were going to be reading this and maybe going through the same exact thing that I was going through in the moment. Um, so wanting, you know, not wanting to let those people down. And I think if you can tell people you know, I, as I mentioned, told my husband, but really nobody else because I had tried so many things over the years. I felt like a lot of my family was probably rolling their eyes at me of, oh, what's she going to do now? Or, you know, the other thing is that I have found um, when you do something that seems, you know, pretty strict, like giving up all sugar and all flour forever, um, people can have a really weird reaction to it. Um, 
Like, you know, I know when I told some extended family members, they didn't seem very supportive because I think they didn't really understand the addiction part of it. They just thought it was some extreme diet and probably thought, like most people, well, you know, everything's okay in moderation. But really, again, you're not going to say that to an alcoholic. Well, yeah, just drink in moderation. It's the same thing. So recognizing that it's different for a sugar addict. But sometimes that's really hard for people to understand, especially if they're not an addict, right? We've talked about that before in other episodes, too. Um, So I didn't really have any judgment against people that didn't understand my journey, but I also didn't really feel like sharing that much because I knew it was something that they couldn't really relate to or understand. And sometimes I got the sense that people felt like then I was trying to, you know, make them do the same thing or, and that wasn't it at all. You know, I just find talking about what works for me is just part of my journey of accepting it (laughs) and talking about it helps. But by no means, if I'm talking to someone about it, do I even imply that they should try that because, you know, there are a lot of people that aren't addicted to sugar and therefore something like moderation works. But again, this podcast is really focused on the people like me that are addicted to sugar. And these are the people I really want to help. And don't want you to feel alone at all. So that's why I do this. And so this is just all part of part one of your journey is coming to terms with giving up something that's been such a huge part of your life. And starting, you know, we talked about triggers and, you know, again, all that's kind of part of the process. And we start thinking about, okay, when am I reaching a lot for the junk food and kind of identifying those times and what you're going to do to get through that. And again, that gets easier and easier with practice, but in the beginning, it's going to be really, really challenging. So the more that you can prep ahead of time, the better it's going to be. Um, and then whatever kind of mode, other motivation, like I kind of kept that in mind too, as I mentioned before, part of my inspiration, motivation, whatever was turning 40. I just knew being, you know, like 38 and a half or whatever I was, I didn't, I was afraid that if I did not solve this problem before I turned 40, there was a good chance I was going to live the rest of my life like that. And I still felt like 40 in some ways is so young. You know, I still am lucky to have, even when I was, you know, eating a lot of sugar and flour, I still was in fairly good health overall, but that was probably not going to last if I continued eating the way I had been. I think, you know, our bodies are amazing and can take a lot But I do feel like, to me, around 40s is when things start really catching up with you that you might have done earlier if you haven't taken good care of yourself. So I was really aware of turning 40 and how much harder it was going to be to get stay healthy. Um, And if I continued on that path, I was nervous about, you know, developing health issues, getting on medicine. I didn't want to do any of that. Um, Another, so turning 40 was a huge, huge, I just thought it's now or never. So that helped a lot. I also, you know, looked at my kids who at that time, you know, they're four and six now. So I guess they were two and four 
which is crazy. But I knew that, you know, I was always really careful what I ate in front of them. I think I've mentioned that before. Um, I wouldn't really, I've never binged in front of them. I usually save that for nighttime. I think only my husband's probably witnessed that. Most of the times I'd like to do that completely alone, you know, with no witnesses. Um, so I was always kind of careful with what I was eating in front of the kids and making sure that I was eating good stuff too, because I know they just take all of that in and it's not just what you're telling them, but what they're watching you do is what they're going to absorb even more. Even if you're saying one thing, if you're doing something else, I mean, that's what they're going to see. So I was always try to be really careful. Um, but I really thought about them getting older and obviously even more attentive to those types of things and just wanted to be a good role model and not be such a hypocrite. And also as a health coach, not be such a hypocrite. You know, uh, here I am and I know the importance of eating healthy and I could lecture that all day long, but when it came to myself, I just couldn't do it, you know? Um, so I guess I wanted to be someone that was walking the walk too, um, as much as I could. It's really important to me to be authentic. So that was hard to not be authentic. I think I talked about, you know, hitting rock bottom and being at that health coaching conference where I was like, you know, desperate to eat an eclair or something at lunch with all these health coaches that were making these amazing choices. And then there I was trying to like, hide the eclair that I was eating because I just needed some chocolate or sugar right then, or I felt like, you know, I was going to explode. Um, so that was a real kind of low point for me and made me realize that again, um, you know, I'm not walking the walk. So it might be, it could be totally different things for you. Um, and for me, it was just hitting that rock bottom being at a really, really low point in my life and like all areas of my life, kind of feeling a little lost after, you know, feeling like most of my 30s were gone to trying to have kids and then having kids and caring for young kids and just really kind of lost myself a lot. So I was kind of going through a huge um, undergoing of myself, just kind of transitioning into a new stage of my life. And it was like, a perfect opportunity for me to then also finally focus on this problem that I've dealt with for so, so long um, and or find a way to be able to live with it for the rest of my life, you know, because really I was never really comfortable with it. I wasn't comfortable in my body. I was really struggling every single day and that was exhausting and I was really, really tired of the struggle. So, you know, thinking about that, turning 40, reading that article, all these puzzle pieces, you know, are falling into place that I think is what made me finally pull the trigger of this. I need to do this now. Um, and I am really proud, you know, thinking back now that, you know, my kids are seeing me eat healthier and I'm not, I feel more authentic. Like I'm not hiding it. Um, you know, sometimes I was afraid if I did, and I would be totally honest. I'm just going to say now, if I do relapse, I will let you know, I won't lie, 
But I thought, again, like, I feel like there's so many people counting on me. That's what keeps me going. You know, I didn't want to, you know, be writing this book. And then that's what kept me going, too. I was like, shoot, if I end up having a cheat day, I'm going to have to admit it. So I really, really wanted to to be authentic. And that's what's kept me going strong. Um, I know there are a lot of people that relapse I mean, that's very common in addiction in general, and that's okay. You know, I kind of think about all those other times I try to give up sugar um, that I relapsed many, many times. It really wasn't until all the puzzle pieces fell in place and I did the, you know, no sugar and no flour. Because before I've tried to give up sugar, but I would still eat maybe like maple syrup or things cooked with stevia or I do gluten-free flour. I was still kind of looking to substitute, you know. I made these really oh delicious like energy balls. I had like peanut butter oats and they were sweetened with like honey and just had a few mini chocolate chips. But again, you know, that eventually I would be eating those for a few weeks and then I'd have the craving for something like a cookie and it was kind of a downward spiral. Like I could never just keep eating the healthier alternatives that I made. So realizing that I, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to try to replace, you know, all these treats with sugar-free, flour-free versions. I was just going to eat, you know, normal unprocessed food as much as possible. And so, and I read a lot of books in this time too, um, just kind of, and I think there's a lot more out there. I hope I introduced you to some books too. I feel much more connected to this uh, sugar addiction world now and realize there are a lot more resources. I think though, a lot more resources right now than there even were two years ago. I think we're going to just get more and more attention and more and more resources now as we go forward. But there is information out there. Um, and you might want to, you know, that might be part of your process just to start reading, processing, journaling, and figuring out what's going to be your motivation. You know, like, is it that you want to be healthier for your kids? And maybe you already have a health issue too, that you just want to overcome. Um, maybe you, you know, obesity runs in your family or diabetes or some other medical condition that, you know, you don't want that to be your future. Um, maybe it is just as simple as, you know, wanting to lose weight or maybe it is deeper of you realizing how much your life is fixated on food and what you're going to eat and just kind of being tired of that. Um, so whatever, you know, your motivation is. It's not a diet though. You know, I think that also is realizing that this isn't a diet. Diets don't work for the most part. You know, people fail and then they end up gaining the weight back. I feel like you really have to get out of that diet mentality and into the accepting, you know, part of this is accepting that you're addicted to sugar and flour. Um, I know, like for me, that's just embarrassing. It was embarrassing to say at first. It's gotten easier and easier. Um, you know, some people, now I kind of think it's actually easier talking about it, saying, you know, well, I'm addicted. So that's why I can't just eat a little bit. 
and being able to use the example of, you know, like an al alcoholic not being able to have, you know, like a shot of tequila and then move on. Um, I think that helps when you're talking to people for them to understand the severity of it, that it's not just a diet, but it's a lifestyle. But I think that's important around this time um, when you're in the grieving process to also realize this isn't just another diet. Cause I think we can be addicted to dieting too. I mean, I loved, like I would always in January have some kind of new diet or exercise plan. I loved going to the bookstore and just looking through the health and wellness section and seeing, Ooh, what new diet can I try now? And really, they're just like a slight variation of the last one I tried. But I thought, ooh, this is going to be the one. Um, and that kind of gets addicting, too. So again, realizing, you know, I'm not going to try a new diet. All I'm doing is taking out the sugar and the flour. That's it. And for me, too, that's why I didn't want to measure food. I didn't want to take out snacking or eliminate other food groups. Uh, different plans out there can be a little stricter. So make sure you find that one that works for you. Um, you know, I do hear from a lot of people that as they get older, they find they have to cut out um, grains a little bit more. So some people cut them out from the beginning. But for me, I knew that sugar and flour, taking that out was going to be hard enough. So I do continue to still eat grains even now. Um, there's a lot of times, though, a lot of meals that I don't, um, but that's something probably I'll keep an eye on as I start getting older, especially for women, you know, as we get perimenopausal and menopausal, it's just so much easier for us to gain weight. It's just not fair after everything else we've been through that then we have to worry about that too. But, you know, that happens and it does happen, you know, for men as well that they kind of get that beer belly. It is, you know, all of our metabolisms slow down. So, um, you know, everyone's, I guess that made me feel a little bit better that um, even people that aren't addicted to sugar and flour can see some more weight gain just naturally, not even changing anything else about their life, but just that they're getting older. So everyone's going to kind of struggle with that. And that was kind of a motivator for me too, is that, okay, if I'm already, you know, cutting back on sugar and flour and alcohol, you know, I'll really be ahead of the game and caffeine. Cause I really don't drink caffeine. You know, whenever you read a book about inflammation or, you know, anti-aging, that's the things that they're telling you to cut out is sugar, caffeine, flour, um, alcohol. So I thought, okay, I'll already be one step ahead. Um, but I know I have heard from, you know, women that they've needed to cut down on um, their carbs more to lose weight as they've gotten older. You know, we just don't like digest them as well and stuff. So um, for now, as I said, I am, I am eating you know, I, I continue to eat things like quinoa. I'll eat rice sometimes. I still eat things like beans. Um, I like my tortilla chips and popcorn, you know, all that type of stuff. But that's, you know, something that might evolve over time and that I'll just kind of keep an eye on. It might be something that I will have to take out one day. So, um, yeah, but that was, you know, more motivation was just thinking of 
helping myself, you know, being one step ahead as I'm getting older to really start prepping my body. Um, and I remember as I started losing weight, I just kept feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to gain this weight back again. For the first time in years, I actually like, I don't know if anyone else that has like your closet, you know, you have your like clothes that fit right now, your clothes that you used to fit in, clothes that you wish you could fit in that maybe you bought, you know, with thinking good intentions of, oh, if I hang up this bikini, that will motivate me to stay on this diet. It's in a size too small for me. You know, two sizes too small, but one day I'll fit into it. But the tags are still on. So you've got that section. And then you might even have the section of, you know, the too big clothes. Um, and it was finally like where I was comfortable throwing out or not throwing out, but I gave a lot of clothes away, consigned some clothes, I gave some to Goodwill, I gave some away actually to family members that just, because a lot of it was still really, you know, newer, nicer clothes, but I also knew that I was never going back to those sizes. I don't know, it just felt different. Before I always felt like, ooh, I better keep them because, you know, you never know. I don't want to have to go out and buy all big clothes. But I really, truly feel like for me, sticking to this plan um, you know, the addiction was the problem, right? But the side effect was weight gain for me. It was binge eating. You know, those were the side effects. Those weren't the cause. The cause still was the sugar addiction, but it caused some me to gain weight. It caused me to have some disordered eating, um, especially, you know, binging on sugar and floury foods. So I knew once I was able to take that out, heal the addiction, I didn't need, you know, all the different sections of my closet anymore. Um, so even the clothes, you know, I had some clothes that had tags on them. And even before I got a chance to wear them, they were too big. Um, so, you know, it is a great way to <laughs> clean out your closet. And it does feel, you know, I know that was always a motivator for me just to be able to get up in the morning and not stress about what was going to fit or not fit that day. And, you know, again, I really haven't had to think about that in probably at least, you know, a year, if not longer, of, of worrying about that at all. So I hope this is helpful. Um, again, I think that for a lot of people, it's so emotional, you know, all the reasons that we eat and there's a lot there. So make sure, you know, when you're going to give up the sugar and flour that has been your best friend for so long, you need to make sure that you've got support in place. And whether that's a therapist, like we mentioned, or a support group, whatever it is, just make sure that you're not white knuckling that part of it. Um, I think you'll be really surprised and it doesn't want to let you go in the beginning, you know, like it really wants to fight to keep its control over you. So time to make a new best friend and just take your time though. In this process, I think the holidays is a really good time for reflection. Just do a lot of journaling and thinking about all of this. Um, in the upcoming month, I I'm going to talk a little bit more about like final preparation. I just want to get you ready to, again, whatever that date is in January, to just go for it. 
And I'm just going to kind of take you through my process of what my final preparation looked like. And then, you know, in the new year, I'll kind of recap each month what I was feeling like that time two years ago. So like in January, what the first few weeks looked like for me. And I hope that's really helpful. I also am going to be interviewing another health coach that I met that She's a dental hygienist, and she comes, talks about dental health, and that's kind of what attracted her to health coaching and how important dental health is to our overall health, and that's something that I'm really passionate about, um, even though I'm not a dental hygienist, but I've had teeth issues, um, just not having the best teeth uh, genetically. I've just inherited some some bad teeth that I really have to work like extra hard to keep uh, in good shape. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her and getting some tips. And I'm also going to be talking with Dr. Ann Childers, who works with children and um, really talks a lot about food and mood. So I'm excited to talk with her too later this month. So look for all those episodes coming up here at the end of the year. I hope everyone is enjoying the holiday season and make sure you just slow down and take some time for you. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day and remember... Life is so much sweeter without sugar.